Today we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Christian scholar and author uh, John Dixon was speaking in a university campus in Sydney, Australia, on the subject of the crucifixion. During the Q&A, a young Muslim man um, stood up and stated, how preposterous was the claims that the creator of the universe could be subjected to the forces of his creation, that he would have to eat, sleep, and go to the toilet, let alone die on the cross. The man's remarks were intelligent, clear, and civil. He went on to argue that it was illogical that God, the cause of all causes, could have pain on, inflicted on him by any lesser beings. Dixon listened carefully and responded kindly. He thanked the man for making the unique, uniqueness of the Christian claim so clear. And Dixon concluded by saying what the Muslim denounces as blasphemy. The Christian holds precious. God has wounds. And that makes Christianity very unique. Listen to um, Isaiah chapter 53. We looked at this um, in the last couple of weeks. Isaiah writes 800 years before the birth of Jesus, yet surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God has wounds. Because Jesus became obedient even to death on a cross. Over the past several weeks, uh, we've been on the road to redemption. We've been in Mark chapter 14 and 15, looking at the last two days of Jesus's life. Uh, we looked at that time in, uh, where Jesus was with his disciples, and, and they shared in that first communion, and and Judas betrayed him, and Peter uh, denied him, and that night he was arrested, and then there were the trials, and then he went, uh, Pilate uh, had him condemned, and then he was crucified, and then we saw his death. And we also went back into the Old Testament, and we looked at Psalm 22, and we, we looked at Isaiah 53, written hundreds of years before this, and they predicted these things would happen and so today we look at the resurrection. And uh, Mark is one of those eyewitnesses. And we want to see in Mark's account how this happened. And we start with the burial of Jesus. And you can open to Mark chapter 15 if you uh, choose to. Mark chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 42 through 47. This is the burial of Jesus. It was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached... Um, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate, and he asked for Jesus' body. Pilate 
was surprised to hear that he was already dead, summoning the centurion. He asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth and took the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And so, um, first we see the urgency of the burial in verse 42. Look at 42. It was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. And then we've got evening coming. What's so important about this? The timing of Jesus' crucifixion and his death brought on an urgency. Preparation day was the day before the Sabbath day, so that would be Friday. Jesus was crucified on Friday, and he died around 3 p.m. Sabbath starts sundown Friday night. There's about a three-hour window for this burial to take place. Jesus needed to be buried before sundown. Why is that? Well, the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 21 uh, says this, if someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole or on a wooden stake or on a wooden cross, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it the same day. Because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse, and Jesus became a curse for us. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And so that brings on this urgency. This was God's requirement, and, and this needed to happen in that three-hour window. Now, normally, family members or friends would come for the body of someone who was executed if they were available. Um, Jesus doesn't seem to have any friends. His disciples ran off. They fled the scene. And um, we, we have no record that Jesus' brothers or sisters were in Jerusalem at this time. And I guess I don't expect Mary. Mary is grief-stricken. And so action is now required. Verse 43, enter the man of bold faith. So as evening approached, we come to verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council. That's the ruling council. That's the Sanhedrin, if you remember, uh, the most important 70 religious leaders in the land of Israel. He's a prominent member. Um, Luke records that he didn't agree with the charges against Jesus. And uh, Mark says he was waiting for the kingdom of God. He was a true God-fearing man. He had a genuine heart for God. He wasn't one of those religious guys who's going through the motions and uh, trying to be better than other people and, and right. He had a genuine, humble heart for God. And it says that he went boldly to Pilate. And I'll tell you what, that impresses me. Um, You've got a man of uh, stature in his community. 
and he has a heart for God, and um, he, he takes this action. This is risky. He could lose. Uh, Jesus was charged with blasphemy among the Sanhedrin. He's, he's charged with treason uh, before the Romans. And um, uh, Joseph is willing to risk this and lose his position as a leader in his community. He's even going to risk. What is Pilate going to do? It's possible that Pilate could arrest him too as a follower of this way. And so uh, he boldly goes to Pilate and he asks for the body. Matthew uh, writes this and he adds a, a little bit of new information. He says, as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who had himself become a disciple. And so Matthew tells us a little bit more. Not only was he a God-fearing man, he had become a disciple. Uh, he has become, as John uh, notices, a secret disciple. So um, he's kind of coming out of the closet on this to, um, to make a statement, to take action, to do something to honor Jesus Christ. To honor him when it looks like there's a total failure on the part of Jesus, because he's dead. And um, it's uh, John also, if you remember from John 19, we looked at that passage last week, where Nicodemus, so it wasn't only Joseph, it, it also included Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was that man in John chapter 3 where G, uh, he had gone to Jesus to, uh, at night with a question because probably he doesn't want people to see him in the daylight. He wants to... And, and you can just see he has a searching heart. for He sees that Jesus is the real deal, and he, and he wants to know more. And that's who John, uh, Jesus spoke, John 3, 16, too. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, too, has become a follower of Jesus. And so um, they have gone to retrieve the body of Jesus. The confirmation of his death is in verse 44 and 45. Um, Pilate was surprised. He was surprised to hear uh, that Jesus was already dead. Um, you know, a six-hour crucifixion and death is uh, quite unusual for Roman first century experience. Uh, it was possible for one to linger on a cross for two or three days. Sometimes it depended on how badly they had been scourged up to, to this point. But that Jesus was already dead uh, was very surprising to Pilate. And so he called for the centurion for confirmation. Now, the centurion was a seasoned veteran executioner. He had a great deal of experience with death. And when he learned, when, when Pilate learned from the centurion that it was so, yes, indeed, Jesus is dead, he gave the body to Joseph. Now, one of the reasons that this is important, Jesus did not swoon. He did not pass out. You know, some critics along the way have said, well, they put Jesus in the tomb. He really wasn't dead. 
even though he'd been wrapped in 75 pounds of spices. He wasn't dead. And uh, somehow being in the tomb where it was cool and damp, he was revived. And uh, the point here is these uh, seasoned people who were familiar with execution said he's dead. He's dead. And by the way, Romans don't mess around. If they're given a charge and they have law and they, and they have orders, um, they are to be executed. And this would be embarrassing if the, if the centurion was wrong. It would be embarrassing if Pilate was wrong and uh, they gave up the body too soon. Next, we see the burial at the tomb, verses 46 and 47. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Now, Joseph would have had help, very likely. He was a, he was a wealthy man, and it's not mentioned here, but he may well have had servants to pull this whole thing off. And, and Nicodemus is, is with him. The tomb was cut out of rock. It was a rich man's grave. Luke records that. It was a new tomb, never uh, been used before. Now, that's kind of a big deal, too, because tombs like that, with all of the, uh, the cost and the energy to make a tomb, families used them for years and years and years. And uh, the, a body would decay, and then they would just take the bones, and they'd put them in a clay jar and put it over in the corner until the next one came along. This, this was a brand new tomb. It was carved out of rock. And then it says he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. I would guess that it took more than one person to roll the stone. Uh, the stone would have been a circular, solid piece of stone that had been hand cut. And um, it's said that in the first century, those stones weighed between one and two tons, two to 4,000 pounds. Now, typically, a stone like that had a trench cut right in, front of the, right in front of the grave, right in front of the opening. It was a little trench where that, that uh, circular uh, stone that, that got closed could just roll into place. Not only that, it was uh, carved uh, on an angle so that it had to roll down into place, which makes it very difficult to remove uh, with that kind of weight. Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Mary Magdalene appears uh, many times in the Gospels, and her name typically is mentioned first, and that might suggest she's the leader of the women disciples. She is a highly committed woman of faith. Jesus had cast out seven demons from her earlier in her life. Her life had changed, and she was living a life of gratitude. Mary, the mother of Joseph, is also Mary, the money, mother of James, the son of Alphas. Uh, James, son of Alphas, was one of the 12 disciples, but not the same James. There were two James among the twelve. These women were at the crucifixion. They're pretty faithful people. Disciples have fled. And the women are, have been at the crucifixion. Now they are at the tomb, at the burial. 
No disciples, but the women are there. We come now to the last chapter of Mark's gospel, uh, Mark chapter 16, and we have the resurrection. In verses 1 through 3, we see the woman now come back to the tomb. They return to the tomb, and let's look at verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, so they have to wait. They have to wait for uh, 24 hours. You know, from sundown, they had to get the, they had the body in the tomb, sundown Friday night, and now they have to wait until uh, sundown Saturday. They had to wait until it was over. And Mary Magdalene is from the town Magdala. It's where she gets her name. And uh, that's up, all of these, the disciples and these women are from the northern part of Israel, from Galilee. And that's where Magdala is. There was Mary, the mother of James, the same Mary, but this time it's Mary, the mother of James, and that's the son of Alphas, who is the brother of Joseph. And then there is uh, Salome, or Salome, and uh, we don't know exactly who she is. Perhaps she's the mother of James and John. And they bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Now, I'm not sure they have a really good plan on what they're going to do or how they're going to do it. Now, keep in mind that Jesus' body has already been prepared with 75 pounds of spices and linen. You know, they didn't embalm bodies. The Jewish people did not embalm bodies. So the spices were, you know, to help keep down the odor for a period of time. So the women are planning to come back and... Uh, they bought spices. That means they had to wait until that 6 o'clock hour on Saturday night and go out into the marketplace and find what they needed for burial for the morning. But they didn't go to the tomb just yet. And we see in verse 2, very early in the, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, so they likely started before sunrise to get there. And the sun is already up. And they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the tomb? They hadn't thought of that one yet. That's kind of a big deal. How is, how is anybody going to move this stone? We don't have any guys here. Um, they don't know all the things that have taken place. They didn't even know that there was um, Roman soldiers sent to guard the tomb. That's not recorded in Mark. And moving the stone away from the tomb would require several men to do this. But in verse 4, the stone is removed. When they looked up, verse 4, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. That's not what was expected. Um, something was wrong. The stone is not supposed to be rolled away. Next, they meet the angel in verse 5. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man, but not a human. A young man dressed in white robe, uh, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. The young man dressed in white was an angel. Matthew records that. In fact, Matthew records that there were actually two angels um, the women were alarmed. Angels seem to bring fear 
uh, and alarm wherever they appear in Scripture many times. And one of the first things an angel says when they speak is, don't be afraid. Because humans, there's something about the appearance of a powerful spiritual uh, being in the, with the power of God that causes humans to shirk back and be in fear. Um, you know, some people get bothered because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are, are four, uh, I give four eyewitness accounts. And, you know, with any humans, there are different perspectives on how to write it down and what to say. But they all communicate truth. Whether there was one or two, is that a, is that a big issue? And it's, and it's what Mark wanted to say. Mark goes with the one who spoke. That's what the women saw. Um, I don't know if I can illustrate this, but last week I saw a deer in my backyard come up to our bird bath and drink water out of it. Can you believe that? You can just take that by faith, right? A deer came up and drank water out of our birdbath. Who would have thought? How many deer? Well, one. A deer drank water out of our birdbath, but there were eight. Who's right? Which is the best way to say it? And Mark says there was an angel and he spoke to the women. Don't be alarmed. And this is the announcement. Verses 6 and 7. Don't be alarmed. He said, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. What do you think of that? Um, he knows what they're looking for. He knows why they came. And he identifies clearly what has happened, who this was, and what the outcome is. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, the carpenter that hailed in Nazareth, where he grew up, up in Galilee. You're looking for him. You're looking for Jesus, the, the human, the, you're, the, the person of history. The, the true historical Jesus? Well, he was here, but he, and he was the one who was crucified, and he died. That's all historical fact, but now he has risen. Um, so the angel clarifies the whole purpose of their visit. He's not here. And then he invites them in. He invites them into the tomb. Now, that could have been a little bit awkward, a little bit scary, you know, to walk into a place where they keep dead people. And uh, he's not here. See the place where they laid him? And, and now the angel gives them a job. He gives them a mission, a next step. He says, um, but go, tell his disciples and, and Peter... Why is Peter, is, is he mentioned here because he's often considered the leader of the disciples? No, he, 
He's including Peter because Peter is the one who denied him at the last minute. And Peter has experienced total failure. And Jesus is going to restore him fully. Tell Peter. I want Peter to know what's happened. And then the, the angel says, He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Um, he's going to go ahead into Galilee. Now, on the very night of his death, Jesus told his followers in Mark chapter 14, Mark 14 verse 28, that they would be scattered, the, str- the shepherd would be struck down, but he would go ahead of them into Galilee. Probably didn't make a lot of sense to them. Maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense now. But later he will appear to his followers in Galilee and he will give them the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. But he will appear many times before that appearance in Galilee. Jesus told his disciples on three different occasions what was going to happen in these last days in Jerusalem. Mark chapter 8, verse 31 is one of those uh, passages And so this is like eight chapters back. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's a name he referred to uh, for himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus said that on three different occasions, and each time he gave a little more information. And... um, The angel says, this is just like he said. And Jesus wants his disciples to know, even though they didn't get it, later they will say, oh yeah, I remember. This is what he talked about. Gee, it didn't make much sense to us at that time. And then we have the first responders in verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They're the first responders to the good news. They're they're fearful. They're bewildered. This 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 is overwhelming to them. This is not what they... They didn't see this coming. It's very clear. The disciples and the women... No one saw the resurrection coming. No matter how many times Jesus told them, they thought it was over. And so the women leave, almost like in discouragement. But guess what? It's not going to last long. Matthew records that soon, with joy, they respond and they go tell the disciples the good news. The disciples are going to have a hard time believing the women. It's not fair, but it's true. And um, women were not allowed to be official witnesses in the first century uh, in the land of Israel. And the, the, the women at first are sort of, you know, overlooked until Peter and John had to run to the tomb and get proof for themselves. The women were the faithful ones. They were at the crucifixion, they were at the burial, and now they're at the tomb, and they're the very first ones to hear from an angel that he has risen. 
I didn't pick any of the men. And they were the first ones to get to tell it to other people. They are the first uh, responders. Question for us is, how do you respond to this good news? Is it good for you? Is it meaningful for you? Or is this something that over time is just uh, sort of... um, You've been conditioned just to take this for granted. I think that's so easy for a Christ follower just to take this for granted. Jesus exchanged his life for your life. Do you have an exchanged life? If you're a Christ follower, Jesus has given his life for your life. Have you given your life back to him? He gave, gave it all for you. Would you give your all for him? That's the exchange life. That's what the resurrection calls for. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe that's something you once did. Maybe you've given your life to Christ or given your heart to Christ or offered your body as a living sacrifice. But maybe you've, you know, just kind of slipped away and life has been so chaotic and it's sort of Jesus is a little more of a side issue than he once was. God just wants you to come back to be under the submission of the lordship of Jesus. The apostle Peter summarizes what Jesus did in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. And He writes, for Christ also suffered once for sins. Jesus died once um, for sins. He only needed to do it once. It was a payment for our redemption. It was a payment that, uh, that was paid in full. And the sin penalty of the world was paid for in total. He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He is the righteous one, and we are the unrighteous, and all humans are the unrighteous ones, and he exchanged his life. Why? To bring us to God, to bring you to God, to make it possible for us to have access to our Heavenly Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. He, he's the way. He's our access. And he wants to bring us into a relationship with God. And then, here we have Easter. He was put to death in the body. That was the crucifixion. But made alive in the spirit. And that's the resurrection. Um, he was our substitute. He was the righteous one. We are the unrighteous. Um, He experienced a human death for us. He did suffer. He does have wounds. You you know what? If we could see him now, he is alive right now. He is resurrected right now. If we could see him now, we would see his wounds, and one day you and I will. Everybody in this room will see his wounds one day. 
According to Philippians chapter 2, one day every one of us, whether we do it willingly or not, will see Jesus just as he is. He experienced death. That was, that's Good Friday. He was made alive. That's Easter, the resurrection. God did it. Jesus died for you and for me. He was all in. And maybe today, this would be the day that you would want to reposition your life under the Lordship of Christ to offer yourselves totally to Him and to be all in. Maybe you've done that before, but maybe you want to do it again today. Or maybe you've never started a relationship with Christ. Uh, Maybe you don't know if you have a relationship with God. Maybe you've never placed your faith in Christ. Question is, would you like to? You, You can do that today. Look at what John chapter 3, verse 36 says. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. It's a choice. It's whoever. It's for any person. Whoever believes in the Son, whoever believes what God has said about the Son, whoever believes about what the Son has done for us, that He died on the cross, that He paid the penalty for our sins. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. When, when, when a person believes, they're given eternal life instantly. It's not something that happens, you know, after we die, then we get eternal life and go to heaven. No, the eternal life is given when you believe. I've shared my story many times. I placed my faith in Christ on September 29th at 4.30 in the morning. How do I know the time? I was there. At 5, five o'clock that morning, I had eternal life. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I was given it because I had believed. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. That's a sad part, yet it's true for the person who does not place their faith in Christ, who does not receive Jesus in a personal way. The wrath of God remains on these people. Does that include you? Does that include your friends or family members? If you're a Christ follower, we have a mission. And this is about the message we have to help people connect with God. You know, Jesus is alive right now. Maybe you've heard this many times But let me remind you of a few things. The main message of the Bible is is pretty simple. All humans are sinners. If you'd like to place your faith in Christ this morning, there's just a few things I want to remind us of. All humans are sinners. All of us are sinners, meaning our attitudes and our actions have fallen short of God's standards. Um, We failed God in our thought life or on things that we've done or said. We aren't perfect people. Sometimes we disobey God's commands. The Bible says that's true for all people. The second thing is that our sin separates us from God. Our sin has ultimate consequences. 
Uh, and those consequences are spiritual death, eternal damnation, e- eternal destruction, eternal punishment. Jesus called it hell. The good news, which brings us to today, Jesus died for our sin. We deserve that death. We deserve the consequences. Jesus took our consequences on himself. And and he paid the price for all because of who he is. There's nothing more that we can add to that or change it. It is done. It is finished. Jesus said so. The good news is, is that any person can begin a relationship with God through faith by trusting Jesus. Um, It's about believing what God has said about his son. Your sins can be forgiven and you can receive this as a gift from God. Not something we earn, not something we deserve because somehow we're better than other people. Not so. We receive by believing. I'd like to close our time this morning with a prayer and just kind of repeat those, those, those basic things. And it's a prayer that anyone can pray and make that expression. And this is especially for those who have never placed their faith in Christ before. If you have, this is a great time just to evaluate your own life and where you are in it and where you need to be. Let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, we come before you today and we just uh, joyfully celebrate Easter and the resurrection. God, we are reminded about the importance of the gospel message. We are reminded that all of us are sinners. We are reminded that all of us deserve a spiritual death. We all deserve to be condemned. And God, right now, we just want to thank you in a personal way. Each person, we want to thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you that he died for me. I recognize that today. And right now, I place my faith in Jesus. I trust him. I believe what uh, you've said about Jesus. I don't deserve it. I'm not good enough. I never will be. But I receive this as your gift. Thank you. And Lord, um, may you just be directing my life. And I, and I ask for your help. Just one day at a time. And now with, with everybody's head still bowed, and I just want to, you know, if you prayed that prayer with me, and you've never placed your faith in Christ, if you prayed that prayer, whether you're at home or um, whether you're, you are here in this room, would you mind just raising your hand so I can see if you've um, prayed with me this morning? Anybody who prayed with me, just slip up your hand. Any, any, anybody else? Thank you. Okay, you can put your hands down. Father, I thank you for um, each person who has indicated they've prayed with me this morning. I pray that right now they might sense your presence in a very real way. 
that they might know that their sins are forgiven. Not because of any good thing they've done, but it's because of what Jesus did for them. And uh, may they just have a confidence and assurance about the future, and may they um, just trust you one day at a time. And then, God, for all of us, I just want to pray as we are reminded of what Jesus did, that he exchanged his life for our life. Father, may we who call ourselves Christ followers, may we give our lives back to you. May, may we present our bodies to you as a living sacrifice. May you be pleased um, with our hearts and with our attitudes this morning. Help us to represent you well in all that we do and say. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.